Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hi, friends. I'm so excited to have you join me for another fabulous week on the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. This show is all about making small changes to create major transformation in our lives. And we get into a whole range of topics each week, from spirituality and the divine feminine to entrepreneurship and career to fitness. There's truly an episode for everyone. So I am so excited to have you join me on this adventure, and I can't wait for you to hear today's conversation. Now, before we get into it, our sponsor for today's episode is Kitcaster. Kitcaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. If you're an expert in your field or you have a unique story to share, Kitcaster can help you grow your brand and connect with podcasts that fit your niche. They have an incredible team of communication experts that will help you dive into the world of podcasting. And spoiler alert, we've had a few Kitcaster clients on our podcast here. So if you're interested in working with Kitcaster, you can go to kitcaster.com wanderlust to apply for a special offer for friends of this podcast. I've also linked the offer in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. This week's guest is Dr. Justine Lemos. Ayurvedic practitioner, teacher, and host of the brand new podcast, Third Eye Roll. Justine is also the host of Thrive Self-Healing with Ayurveda on Gaia TV, and she is absolutely incredible. You're going to love hearing from her today. In episode 68 of this podcast, we began to explore the ins and outs of Ayurveda and this sister science to yoga. So this week, we're going to dive even deeper into these practices and learn how Ayurveda can help us create balance in our lives. In today's conversation, Justine shares how Ayurveda helps us determine the root causes of our body's imbalances and what we can do to improve our vitality or our ojas and decrease our ama or the gunk that accumulates in our bodies. We also get into Vedic astrology, which is a topic I knew very little about prior to our conversation, and we'll talk about what's going on in the stars today that we should be mindful of. When we get to the rapid fire questions at the end of this conversation, Justine's top wellness tip may actually really surprise you. So stay tuned to the end. So anyway, enough from me. Let's hear more from Dr. Justine Lemos. Hi, Justine. Thanks so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we really dive in, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your wellness journey. Thanks. So my name is Dr. Justine Lemos. I hold a PhD in cultural anthropology with an emphasis on embodiment in South Asia. And actually, my academic research is in the semiotics or the symbolic meaning and representation of dance and movement. And while I was living in India for research for my doctoral dissertation and my books, I really was suffering from a great deal of chronic pain in my body. The practice of classical Indian dance, which I had been doing for many, many years, it's really virtuosic and it requires a lot from the physical body. And while we were living in South India in the Southwest state called Kerala, we were living in a very rural place where I was studying dance at the State Academy for the Performing Arts. And we were befriended by a young man 
whose father had the distinction of being the first Muslim Ayurvedic pharmacist in Kerala. Ayurveda is traditionally held, though not exclusively, in the Hindu community. And so he had this distinction of being the first Muslim Ayurvedic pharmacist, or so he said. And so we ended up spending a lot of time in the Ayurvedic pharmacy, which was nestled in the rice paddies, and we'd hang out there and drink coconuts straight from the tree and roll pills made of Ayurvedic herbs. But I didn't really have a sense of Ayurveda as a holistic system of wellness. And it wasn't until I returned back to the US and was completing my doctoral work that I was pregnant with my child and I was still having chronic pain. And I was, I said to myself, I really need to have a system of wellness to heal myself and to have a system that I can help my family with. Like, I'm going to become a mother. I don't want it to be just like, of course, I'm interested in natural wellness, but that doesn't presume a system of really, of a knowledge. I don't want to just throw herbs and homeopathic pills <laughs> at my child. I want to have a basis, a theoretic basis for a knowledge base of what I'm doing. So I decided to undergo training as an Ayurvedic practitioner uh, with my teacher, Dr. Paul Douglas, who is both an Ayurvedic practitioner, a Western medical doctor, a full MD, and a Chinese medicine practitioner, which really gives him this amazing vantage and this amazing knowledge mm. of the body. So I studied with him, and then it was through my studies I was still suffering from chronic pain. And so I did some consulting with him and I had had chronic pain, especially in my shoulders for about 15 years. And with lifestyle changes, I completely eradicated the pain within about three months and have been living pain-free since then. So that's a little bit about my journey with Ayurveda. And then, you know, after that, that's when I opened my practice as an Ayurvedic practitioner. And I see individual clients as a clinical practitioner, not an Ayurvedic educator, though I do a lot of education, but what I do is very specific. And then I also run group programs. I think that's such an amazing story. And first of all, how cool it is that you were able to live in, Ke in Kerala. I've heard absolutely wonderful things. I have a coworker from there. Mm. And getting to have that experience and really living that lifestyle. And I do agree with you when you look at holistic health, there are so many great practices out there, but it really does sometimes feel like you're throwing different things at the problem and not really sure. And having a system maybe a little bit more in place, I think can make it just a lot less daunting on a healing journey because, again, you get so many different opinions from so many different sides, even from the holistic and more natural side of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, having, you know, we don't say the word diagnosis, but having the tools of assessment that Ayurveda gives us, being able to read the pulse and the six different layers in somebody's pulse or my own pulses, being able to do tongue analysis, facial analysis, voice analysis, all of these things give us knowledge about the causative factors that are causing an imbalance to arise. And so we're not just throwing things at the symptoms. We're actually looking at what are the causes and conditions that created something arising in the body or in the mind.
Absolutely. Because they really are one in the same, you know, something is happening in your body. And a lot of times there is something maybe on a more of an emotional side too. And the experiences that we've had and how we hold those in our bodies, I think that's so important to keep in mind. And I love the fact that a lot of times when we think about Eastern medicine and when we think about maybe the more holistic side, a lot of times it is dismissed as opposed to the Western, very quote unquote, modern medicine. But there really is a science to it when analyzing the tongue and the voice and all of that. And I think that's so important for people to keep in mind that it's not just maybe throwing an herb at something, but truly looking at the whole human and figuring out what they may need to work with certain imbalances in their bodies. Absolutely. And, you know, if there's anything that my teacher has taught me, because he is a Western medical doctor, is that the two systems are not in counterpoint to each other. Ayurveda teaches us that everything under the sun is medicine when used at the appropriate moment. And there is really nothing that Ayurveda would never use to create healing conditions, knowing that everything has benefits and everything has detractions to it at the same time. So I I never like to see the two systems as completely counterpuntal to each other. Definitely. I I think that's really important to note. And I love the bio-individuality of Ayurveda that what may be right for me may not be right for you. And, you know, there may be some things that we kind of can all incorporate, but we're all different. And it looks at everybody is different. And, you know, my Western medicine doctor was very excited to know that I was starting to get into the Ayurveda and was very encouraging, which I really liked that what we're doing in in her office could still, you know, work side by side with what I was starting to do with some of the dietary and lifestyle changes. I love that. My favorite thing in the world is when someone has a Western and, you know, if they have a standing chronic imbalance that they've been seeing a Western doctor for, and maybe they're taking medications. I love it when I have a Western doctor that's open and willing to talk to me about things because there's always or almost always ways that the two systems can work together synergistically to bring about long lasting healing. Absolutely. Now, I would love to know for our listeners, you know, we, we've recently done an episode on Ayurveda, so there may be some familiarity among our listenership. I think I, I did a poll not too long ago, just asking listeners how familiar they were with Ayurveda. And I think it was like 75% that answered, didn't know a ton about it. Mm-hmm. So can you give us a brief overview of what Ayurveda is and what some of those benefits are? Absolutely. So Ayurveda, Ayur, meaning life and Veda meaning science. Ayurveda means the science of life. And it is a system of holistic wellness that has its origins in ancient India, but has vast application for all living beings. It is not just Indian medicine or just Indian herbalism, which is not to devalue its cultural roots, which we find in India. In fact, it is to uplift that in that it is really a universal system of how to be human and how to stay healthy in a human body. So Ayurveda postulates 
that there are three doshas, which have become very popular in the West. And it's almost used like a horoscope sign or something like what's your Mm -hmm. dosha baby. And we do like quizzes in the latest yoga journal on what your dosha is, which, you know, it's wonderful and that it raises awareness, but it also, you know, no one that I know of really tries to do do it yourself Chinese medicine it's too large of a system to comprehend for most Westerners. And really Ayurveda is the same. And so there's so much self-care that we can do. But really when we get into the deeper levels of Ayurveda, it's really, we really need a practitioner or a guide to bring us back into health. So I always like to say that. But the doshas themselves are built upon the pancha mahabhutas. Pancha means five, maha means great, bhuta means elements. And the ancients saw that there were five great elements present in the earth realm. Those are earth, krivti, water, jala, fire, agni, vayu, wind, and akasha or ether. So five great elements that are the building blocks of the universe and the reality, all manifestations, all the manifest universe. And these five great elements have a tendency to group together. Water and earth tend to be found together. You can't really find a stream without a muddy bank or without rocks in the stream. They just group together. Fire really stands alone, but is often grouped together with a little bit of moisture, a moisture in the air right before an electrical storm. And then air and ether, wind and ether tend to group together, very light and dry. And the ancients saw that the human body functioned like the groupings of these elements, not that the human body was made of these elements literally, but in a grand metaphor. So earth and water group together, creating what we call kapha dosha. And we find kapha dosha in the human body, in our immunity, in our strength, and in our stability. And we find that kapha dosha in its cold, heavy qualities is more present in certain bodies. All bodies have kapha dosha. All bodies are made of all three doshas. Fire, agni, with a little bit of moisture, becomes pitta dosha. And in certain bodies, there is more fire. There is more intensity. Pitta dosha is responsible for transformation, digestion, and metabolism in all bodies. Air and ether group together in what we call vata dosha. Vata dosha is light and dry, changeable and movable. It rules over the nervous system of all bodies and is found more in some bodies. But vata dosha rules over communication. It rules over mobility, our motion, our ability to move. And it rules over communication and transportation, how things move in the body. I'm not sure if I said that twice, but those are the doshas. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I love that you mentioned too that we have all three of them because that was something and the fact that we really need to work with a practitioner to fully understand and get deeper into it because, you know, I would listen to podcasts here and there and read a little bit and I immediately, because I hold on to weight easily and Mm -hmm. I think because I have a lot of earth in my chart, I immediately decided, well, I'm Kapha and that is my type. Even though when I really look at my childhood and I look at my personality, I actually see a lot more uh, vata mm-hmm. and working with a practitioner and kind of going through, well, what are some of the imbalances I'm actually experiencing? I actually had very little kapha imbalance and yes. it was a lot more vata and some pitta as well. And to kind of understand that I think my dad is like entirely pitta when I like, mm-hmm. I think they could put his picture in the book, but <laughs> for the most part, we really are combinations of all of these things. And it really isn't, you know, like a witch sex in the city character are you and which absolutely absolutely and you know there has been so much emphasis placed on the constitution the prakriti of what is your dosha that we've forgotten that clinically what the imbalance is what the vikruti is what is going wrong or what is causing imbalance in the body is more important than simply what the constitution is. So you could be a kapha person. I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. I haven't analyzed you. But it is possible, <laughs> especially in modern life, to be kapha dosha and have a huge vata in dosha imbalance. And in fact, in the in the West, I find most frequently that there is an element of vata dosha imbalance that can cause someone to hold on to weight. And that is because the nervous system is so ungrounded and there's so much stress and there's so much pressure. The body is like, wait, I have to stay here on the ground. I have to stay grounded. Of course, I'm going to hold on to weight. If I don't, you're going to fly off the planet. (laughs) I completely agree with that assessment. And I could, I could certainly see that being something that, that I personally have experienced. And even I had never identified with Pitta before. And I have, I would say less of a Pitta imbalance, but at least based on, you know, the the conversations that I've had with her, but I do experience some of it. And I think some of my type A personality traits are almost to overcompensate sometimes for occasionally the vata spaciness. Sure. And yeah, and I think, you know, understanding that body type is certainly part of it, but it's not all of it. And to understand that we are whole humans and it's, you know, there's a lot that goes into it and treating the imbalances is and figuring out what those root causes are. Can you tell me a little bit what exactly causes these imbalances in our bodies? And I know this has to be a very complex answer. Well, uh, it all boils down to what we call mistake of the intellect in Ayurveda. And this is, you know, cows don't have the ability to eat pizza at midnight. And we have the free will to do just about whatever we like. And we forget the beautiful consciousness that we are. And we do things that are contrary to our nature because we 
think that they're good for us. I can't tell you how many times in my practice I've had to tell someone to stop doing the thing that they thought was the healthy thing that they were doing because that so-called healthy thing was actually driving the imbalance that they were experiencing. So mistake of the intellect and our egos is what brings us out of balance time and time again. Absolutely. And I I think that has to be, you know, you hear so many people that maybe they want to lose weight or what have you, and they're exercising several hours a day, and it's only going to imbalance their hormones. And, you know, unless maybe you're really training for some kind of athletic event, understanding that putting in that kind of exercise, for example, may not really be in your best interest. Absolutely. Or eating certain healthy foods that are great, but if it's all raw and you can't tolerate raw foods, then it's not going to help you a lot. Absolutely. Yes, you are absolutely correct. So how do we determine the root causes of our imbalances? Because I could see that there could be so many different factors leading into that. There are so many different factors. (laughs) And you know, like my story, I had this chronic pain and I had done many years of study to become an Ayurvedic practitioner and I couldn't see my own gunk. And so this is where that outside guidance is so very important in having someone who can analyze what is happening with you. Because I'm not saying you can't see the root causes of your own imbalance, but it takes a very discerning look at our own selves and a deep sense of svadhyaya, of self-study and of honesty and, and you know, non-violence to really be able to see our own patterns and really being able to do an inventory of what is truly happening in the lifestyle. So much of the time, Westerners always go to food as the root cause of imbalance. And yes, food can play a huge role in perpetuating imbalance, but almost always lifestyle choices, what time we're going to bed, what media we're consuming, how much stress there is, if there's alcohol being taken, if there's other substances being taken, if there's caffeine being taken, how much chocolate is being eaten, is there, you know, the list goes Mm -hmm. on and on. Those root causes are almost always not just in food, nutrition, and diet. They are often lifestyle related. They're often, they can be lodged in the energy body, in the chakra system. They can be lodged in the mental, emotional bodies, in the samskaras of how we are repeating past life experiences and karmas over and over again. So we need a discerning eye to discover our imbalances and their root causes. I think that's so interesting too that you bring up the mental emotional body and the past life experiences. I had a um I I had a, a medium do what it, she found one of my past lives and it was just so interesting to see that the challenges and actually how my past life had passed away 
uh, was something that I'm very afraid of now in this lifetime. And so to kind of understand how that really shapes us and can even affect our health, I think is so, so important. And I do think the sleep is one of those things that I, you know, your mother always tells you to go to bed at a good time, nothing good after midnight. But at the same time, you know, you get that pitta second wind at 10 p.m. And I didn't understand that that was an actual, you know, that was part of the energetics of the day that maybe my body will be digesting better. Maybe I won't wake up so bloated if I stop working before a certain time of night and how much that plays into our our overall health outside of what we're eating and how much we're moving around. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would love to know, because I think immune systems, that's something that's certainly a concern for many of us during a pandemic. A lot of a lot of listeners, myself included, deal with chronic illness or autoimmunity. And how does Ayurveda help us to boost our immune systems? Two important things in Ayurveda that have not really been looked at in the West in popular Ayurveda enough are what we call ojas and amma. Ojas is our vitality. It's really our our strength and our juice, you know, our vitality, mm-hmm. our juiciness. And really, it is our immune system in many ways, or the root of our immune system. And all of the practices, all of the dinacharya, the daily practices that we do in Ayurveda to keep our body healthy and vibrant it's not just healthy like healthy and sexy and vibrant and glowing and beautiful and all these things majestic all of these things boost our immune system they increase our ojas now on the flip side the other thing that ayurveda teaches us about is amma and amma literally means ama that which is not your mother Ama is not your mama because it is the gunk factor that tends to accumulate in the body when digestion is not perfect. It is not just the gunk factor that accumulates in the body when digestion is not perfect. It is the gunk factor that accumulates in the mind and in the emotional body when digestion of emotion and digestion of thought is not perfect. And when ama accumulates, it becomes a fertile ground for disease, just like a fertile field. And so Ayurveda, through all of its methods and techniques, teaches us and imparts us with the knowledge to increase our ojas, our vitality, and to decrease our ama. So this is how Ayurveda can boost our immune system is by increasing ojas. How each person does that is unique unto them. However, there are some ways that everyone can increase their ojas, such as sitting down to eat all your meals, eating your meals at regular times, eating your meals in a pleasant mood with pleasant music and pleasant conversation, eating until you're 75% full and not more than that, Uh, staying out of the wind, Staying out of too much sun, which is very depleting to the oja. Some is okay, but too much will be depleting. Avoiding alcoholic beverages, which are incredibly depleting to ojas. Avoid staying up in the night. Avoid hurrying and rushing. <laughs> Those are some of the ways that we work to increase our immunity. 
I think those are so important to keep in mind because I think we are often, myself included, I am constantly rushing through a meal. And I'm a slow eater in in a group setting, but I've certainly eaten standing up or, you know, with Netflix on and things like that, living alone, it can be really challenging. And that was something, you know, speaking with a nutritionist, my doctor, the Ayurvedic practitioner I've worked with, all of them have said, you need to sit and eat and enjoy your meal and experience it. Uh, but it's so it's so much easier said than done. And so I do think it's very important to be remembering that, you know, and keeping that in mind as something that really is a wellness practice for us. It's not just what we're eating. I didn't know about staying out of the wind and sun, though. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, wind, too much wind and too much sun are very depleting to adjust to our immunity. And think about it. If you spend the entire day sunbathing, like on a really hot beach, how do you feel after? You feel exhausted. Yes. Right? Absolutely. You're ready to pass out the minute you get home. And yeah. So I, I completely can relate to that. And then I think as far as alcohol goes, I mean, maybe socially, you know, it can be fun, although I rarely drink anymore. But I mean, there's there is no good quality really with alcohol. It's not really you go the rest of your life without it. it you're not going to be missing out on any you know nutrients or anything like that. So I do think, you know, we have to be keeping that in mind, too. Absolutely. So I, I love that, the ways to increase your ojas. I, how do we decrease our ama? Right. So there are basic ways that we decrease ama, and many of them are the same ways we increase our ojas. In cases where there is a great deal of ama, this is where Ayurvedic cleansing, like what we call varechna or more in-depth cleansing called panchakarma will come into play. Both of these practices should be done with guidance. A very simple ama reducing technique is to sip on hot water throughout the day, not because you're taking so much water and this will quote unquote flush the body. That's not the point. You're sipping on hot water, which stimulates your tongue. And when the tongue is stimulated, then the digestive tract is stimulated. And when the digestive tract is stimulated, but there's not food or not much food present, it begins to work. And when it's working, it's burning out that ama that may be present in the digestive tract. So what we call a hot water routine is often a first line of defense against ama accumulation. And I think that's such an easy thing for everyone to incorporate. It really does not take any time out of the day. And then instead of putting ice in your drink, just getting some warm, hot water, I think that was something I have started to experiment with that I didn't understand the logic behind it, but that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Through Ayurveda, you know, you're looking at the mind, body, and the spirit, which I think is really important. I think looking at the whole person, are there any spiritual practices that we can take on through Ayurveda? Well, absolutely. I mean, the whole of Ayurveda in itself is a practice of increasing our ability to access and experience pure consciousness. So that in itself is pretty, <laughs> is pretty spiritual. Foundational to Ayurveda is the practice of meditation. And so meditation itself is a fundamental precipice of Ayurveda. Like we can't be healthy in body or mind without meditation. 
Of course, mantra is a part of Ayurveda, mantras and sound healing. This kind of new age sound healing really comes out of old age practices of sounds for healing or mantra for healing, chanting for healing. Even crystal therapy comes into Ayurveda in the use of gemstones for healing and other rocks and crystals for healing. So it's kind of like... I don't know what isn't spiritual that is <laughs> in Ayurveda. Yeah. So it's all there. And I think it's so cool that so many of the modalities today really do take from Ayurveda, that it really is that foundational piece for so many of these other practices that, that people take on today. Absolutely. Now, I would love to know, too, you are an expert in a topic that I don't know a whole lot about, but I've seen on your channels, you've shared quite a bit, Vedic astrology. I'm familiar with the tropical, but not so much with the Vedic astrology. Can you explain what that is and how it plays into your practice? Sure. So Vedic astrology is a sister science to Ayurveda, but it's not in the original texts. They're two separate sciences, though they are sister sciences. And the briefest way to explain it is that when the Greeks learned astrology from the Hindus from India, they forgot to learn about or they did not learn about the progression of the equinoxes and the fact that the entire solar system itself was in motion. And so Western tropical astrology is accurate to what was actually in the sky 2000 years ago. So at the beginning of spring, you know, in Western astrology, that's like Aries or something. I think I don't know much about Western astrology. I've forgotten it all. And actually, that isn't what's really in the sky. That's not where the sun actually is in the sky. It was there 2000 years ago. So Vedic astrology is actually accurate to what is happening in the sky right now. The other thing uh, which is very important about, which makes it, uh, in my humble opinion, much more accurate than Western astrology. Vedic astrology is an infinitely complex system of which I am just a humble student. That said, the ascendant is much more important in Vedic astrology as well as the placement of the moon in addition to the sun. Western astrology tends to put an emphasis on both the placement of the sun and on the psychological attributes of the sign. Vedic astrology puts much less importance on both and additionally works on a system in addition to the signs, works on a system of 27 star signs or nakshatras, which are less familiar in the West, but have a greater degree of accuracy than just the signs themselves. So in Vedic astrology, you would never say, you know, I am a cancer or whatever, you would say my star sign is Revati Nakshatra, which is not in Cancer, it's in Pisces. So bad example, but it's a it's an entirely different system. That makes sense. And it definitely seems a lot more complex than than the Western that we're typically, you know, the majority of people are probably more familiar with, with the 27 star signs and with everything moving in the sky. But, you know, you're right that maybe what was there 2000 years ago, I mean, that could be very different to what's reflected today. Yes, it's actually literally quite different. So like on the first 
day of spring, if you look up into the sky, the constellations will not be where we're not in Aries during that time. (laughs) We were there 2,000 years ago. (laughs) Definitely. And so they are sister sciences. How how exactly do you incorporate Vedic astrology when you're working with clients and how, how does that play? How should that play into our lives? Well, I don't know if it should play into our lives. I use it in my client work to get the biggest advantage of what are the karmic patterns that they are living through in this lifetime. And then if there are particular patterns of disease that they should be concerned about on a physical level, and then what are those big emotional and karmic lessons that they're learning? And, you know, we're looking, we may need to look at remedies on a very, on a very large level. If what is happening to them is a very large blueprint lesson of this lifetime. I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, to be looking into the karmic patterns, looking into more than just the physical, tangible, what we can see and really understanding, because I do think so often the reason we're not healing, there is something deeper there and maybe something emotional or something that either it took place in our lifetime or maybe, maybe in a previous lifetime. And to really be looking at it from that perspective, I think could really, um, how, how do our emotions and those experiences affect our health and well-being? Well, if emotions aren't digested, they tend to congeal and they tend to congeal in certain patterns and in certain organs and in certain areas of the body that then will have weakness or disease or illness. So what would be like an example of how that might occur? Uh, Someone who experiences extremely deep heartbreak may experience depression, the back of their heart will cave in, and then often they may experience what we know that, you know, elderly people after their spouse dies, the likelihood is that they die of congestive heart failure within a year or two afterwards. And that is in part because of the emotional heartbreak that literally happens. Yeah, that's always so sad to see and I hear a lot of times that especially with men because I think the a lot of a lot of times older women we still kind of focus on the relationships maybe more and maybe that's maybe that's a bit of a stereotype but if we focus on relationships and continuing to build those and keeping those people in our you know friendships mm-hmm. in our lives mm-hmm. it helps us so much. I think that that increases the likelihood of living longer after something, you know, so tragic happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, you know, there are many cases where with divorce, someone doesn't get over the heartbreak and then there's heart problems afterwards, like literally in the heart. And that's just one example. Anger stores itself in the liver. There's so many examples. That That is so interesting. And I wouldn't have known that, but it does make a lot of sense with the, the way that they do store themselves in the body. And even thinking about, you know, in the Western EMDR therapies, when we are talking through certain traumas and, you know, reliving those and we end up, we feel our emotions in certain places. And I've become very, very aware of that over time, that that trauma doesn't just, you know, it, it has to be somewhere. Absolutely. So as far as the the Vedic astrology goes, I'm definitely fascinated by that. I know very little about it. As far as that goes, is there anything happening in Vedic astrology today, you know, say late February, early March, or even just in general in the year 2022 that we should be mindful of as a collective? 
Yeah, I'll just highlight a couple of things. I mean, there's always so many things going on. Starting last January and moving through April, we're in what's called the Kal Sarpa Yoga, which is a very difficult constrictive pattern that will last through April. Also coming up February 26th through April 27th, Mars is in exaltation. And this gives Mars a lot of, so third chakra, willpower, strength, courage, pitta dosha, intensity. This gives us a lot of motivation and courage to get things done. But we also have to be careful not to get too aggressive and or manic around it. The 16th, there's a beautiful full moon in what we call Magha Nakshatra, which is the royal star. And then on March 2nd, the new moon is, is in Shatabishaka, which is the star of a hundred physicians. And this can bring in a lot of healing energy, but it also can bring in need for more physicians. So on a collective level, I'm kind of looking at that being like, which way is it going to (laughs) go? So those are a few things that are coming up. That's so interesting and definitely hoping that it's that healing energy and not, you know, especially during a pandemic, a need for more physicians. I know. I know. Well, it is a healing energy, but it's like that particular and, and we only need healing if there's a something to be healed. <laughs> Absolutely. We certainly we certainly need that now. So I, I think this is all really interesting to know and to be able to kind of align with a little bit and understand what the energetics might be like and how we can use certain times to our advantage and what we really need to be doing. Definitely. So before I switch into the rapid fire questions, are there any other practices in Ayurveda or any lessons that you would like our listeners to know about or to learn about and potentially incorporate into their lives? Hmm. Well, there are so many. There are just so many. You know, meditation is the number one thing that can absolutely change anyone's life and health. And learning a practice of effortless meditation is essential knowledge for being human. I could not agree more. It's something I definitely still a lot of effort for me, but something that I'm really trying to take the time to cultivate because when I do it, when I do it consistently, I feel like a different person. So I'd love to dive into our rapid fire questions so the listeners can get to know you a little bit more as well. Okay. Wonderful. Now, what would you say is your top wellness tip? Never use ice in any beverages. (laughs) And why is that? It's because the digestion is a warm place and it doesn't need to be frozen. Well, I will have to let the friend I went to lunch with today who asked for no ice in her water that she did the right thing. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. I'd heard that. And I noticed in other countries, they really don't serve drinks with ice. It really seems to be an American thing. Yeah. Americans are obsessed with ice in their beverages. Yes, absolutely. When when I do whenever I do a fountain drink, I always do room temp, but I'm a little guilty in restaurants. So that's definitely something I'm going to be better about. Now, what would you say is your favorite travel destination? Well, I just really 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 I mean, I've been all over the world and I just love Hawaii so much. That is on my bucket list. <laughs> absolutely beautiful. 
Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Well, I wanted to pick something really cool like a panther, but then I asked my kid about this and without waiting, <laughs> they were like, an elephant. And I was like, this is really interesting. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, they're matri- matrilineal and they're vegetarian, but they're really powerful. So they're just like you. And then why it's really interesting is that in Vedic astrology, there is a way you can calculate your kind of spirit animal in a sense. It's kind of like an equivalent to that. And in Vedic astrology, the female elephant is my animal. And he had no, my child had no idea. So I'm going to say elephant. That's amazing. And you have a very intelligent child too. Yes, I do. (laughs) Very insightful. (laughs) And if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? And do I have to pay like the dues to learn the skill or do I just get the skill? You just get the skill. Yes. I would be, it would be a Carolite martial art form called Kalari Payatu, which is just like the most badass martial art ever, but I'm sure it is so painful to learn. (laughs) that is amazing and yeah I definitely would say you know if you could wake up with that power the next day (laughs) yeah that is that is really really cool though I hadn't heard of that one before Mm -hmm. and finally what's next for you on your bucket list um so I was also trying to figure out what I was gonna respond to this and I really want to visit the so-called sacred sites of Mary Magdalene in France. There's a whole legend whether or not it's true or not about Mary Magdalene and her living in France and there's like 20 sacred sites associated with Mary Magdalene in France and I'd love to visit them. That would be absolutely amazing. I recently had someone on the show talking about the feminine wounds that we experience and, you know, and Mary Magdalene and I I just find that to be so fascinating. It's something I want to learn more about, but how cool it would be to actually visit the sites too. I know. I think it would be great. That's amazing. Now, Justine, you have been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing this wisdom with us. Before I let you go, I would love to know what you're offering in your practice and where listeners can find you and connect and anything else you'd like them to know. Right. So I will be offering my group program, which is called Shakti Path. It will open for enrollment soon just on the precipice of opening enrollment for that. Um, You can reach me and find my offerings at my website, justinelimos.com. And you can join me there. I also run a free Mighty Network for people in my community. And you're welcome to join me there. There's info on my website about it. Wonderful. And I will link all of that in the show notes. What exactly does Shakti Path mean too? I'm out of curiosity. So Shakti Path is a movement through five spirals of the elements. It's a deep dive into Ayurveda, into yoga, into some Vedic astrology to bring women into abundant health and wellness, body, mind, and spirit. It's a really holistic dive into all the aspects of the self and working with goddess archetypes, kriyas, mantras, and practices woven throughout that. And there is also an option in that for people to become an Ayurvedic wellness educator through their work in Shakti Path. That's amazing. And what a, what a cool program. How long does the program last? It's about six months. Oh, wonderful. 
Well, again, I will make sure to link that along with your website, your network, and your social media platforms in the show notes so listeners can find you and connect. And Justine, again, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing with us today. If you've been listening to the show for a while, then you know I'm a huge fan of Ayurveda and have seen firsthand how living Ayurvedically can transform your health. I've loved learning more from Justine about this incredible health system and even more about how we can integrate it into our lives. Vedic astrology is another topic I knew very little about prior to our recording, but I'm always fascinated by what's going on in the cosmos and how it might affect our day-to-day lives and the lives of the collective. Whether you personally believe in astrology or not, I think it does give us the opportunity to reflect on our surroundings and adjust and to really think about what's going on in our lives. So I loved learning about what is currently happening in Vedic astrology and how it might apply to each of us. I have linked Justine's information in the show notes so that you can connect with her and check out her amazing offerings. Her podcast, Third Eye Roll, launched earlier this month. It's fantastic, and it features 20-minute deep dives into all things Vedic, Mythic, Ayurvedic, and so much more. So be sure to check it out. And of course, if you're brand new to our show and want to learn more about Ayurveda, episode 68 of Wellness and Wanderlust is all about the basics of Ayurveda and how this modality can help us heal. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in and for sharing this part of your day with me on your commute, while you're cleaning the house, while you're doing really anything. I so appreciate you having me along for the ride. If you have a topic you'd like us to explore in a future episode, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram at blog or by email at valerie at wellnessandwanderlust.net. We are also launching an Ask Me Anything feature for the show. So if you have a question that you'd like to ask about really any topic around wellness, travel, spirituality, life, anything like that, career, you can send your questions my way through email or Instagram as well. One of the best ways that you can lend your support to the show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you're tuning in from so that others can find the show better and learn more, and it only takes a few minutes out of your day. If you find yourself tuning in from week to week or you've really enjoyed the show, it would mean the world to me if you leave that rating and review. Now, I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I cannot wait to see you next time.